Why, hello there. I'm Dave Rubin. This is the Rubin Report direct message for today, May 13th, 2021. And before we do anything else, just a quick reminder to have you guys subscribe to our YouTube channel, tap that notification bell, and maybe, just maybe, you'll see our videos in your feed. I can't guarantee it, but hey, it's worth a shot, right? Uh, today we are doing a Ask Me Anything Q&A. We took a ton of questions from rubinreport.locals.com, so feel free to join over there if you ever wanna get in on our Thursday Ask Me Anythings. And I'm gonna hit up one story before we do all that, because as we've talked about a lot, I think it's a lot, officially, uh, wokeism is pretty much destroying everything, and it's destroying the very industries that brought it into the system in the first place. In this specific case, I'm talking about Hollywood because there ain't gonna be no Golden Globes this year because of all that racist stuff. So we're gonna talk about that and then get to as many questions as possible. But before all that, I wanna talk to you guys about Ancestry.com. You know, there are many paths to finding your family story. Whichever way you choose, tracing your family generations back with a family tree or uncovering your ethnicity with Ancestry DNA, it's easy to get started with Ancestry. You could find a famous relative or perhaps a photo of your great grandma as a little girl. Whatever you find, it's sure to change the whole way you look at your family history and yourself. After all, the story of your family is the story of you. This past year has made many of us feel disconnected from our loved ones. Fortunately, researching your history is a fun activity the whole family can enjoy, even when separated by distance. And the stories you learn about your shared past can bring you closer together. Ancestry DNA can reveal ethnic origins and provide historical details that bring unique family stories to life. Ancestry DNA doesn't just tell you which countries you're from, but can also pinpoint the specific regions within them, giving you insightful geographic details about your history. Trace the paths of your recent ancestors and learn how and why your family moved from place to place around the world. No other DNA test delivers such a unique interactive experience. Grab an Ancestry DNA kit and start a free trial to amplify your discoveries with Ancestry's billions of records. Start exploring your family history today. Head to my URL at Ancestry.com slash Ruben to get your Ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial. That's Ancestry.com slash Ruben. And now back to me. All right, let's talk about the Golden Globes. We've got a tweet here from Axios, quote, NBC says it won't air the Golden Globes next year over criticisms that the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is not sufficiently committed to diversity. Oh, you can never be woke enough for the wokesters. We've got some quotes from NBC. We continue to believe that the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is committed to meaningful reform. However, change of this magnitude takes time and work, and we feel strongly that the HFPA needs time to do it right. As such, NBC will not air the 2022 Golden Globes. Assuming the organization executes on its plan, we are hopeful we'll be in a position to air the show in January 2023. Oh, for God's sake. So this is just Hollywood eating itself. And although with all due irony, as I sit here in Los Angeles, uh, I have to say I'm sort of enjoying it. I mean, this is what you get at the end of wokeism. Everything is racist. Everything must be destroyed. It's time to take everything out. As you guys know, the Oscars were just in the last couple of weeks, or maybe you don't know it, because basically nobody watched. Less than 10 million people watched the Oscars. When was the last time you saw a good new movie? You know, there's a couple TV shows that trickle out on some of these streaming services, on top of the fact 
that you know COVID caused all these shutdowns, so there's just way less stuff out there. It's like all I watch basically are the same. I watch the same things that I watched in 1989. I watch Seinfeld, I watch The Simpsons, and I watch Golden Girls. That's that's pretty much good enough for me. I'm also watching Handmaid's Tale. It's not bad. It's not bad. But they got the whole thing wrong. All the all the wokesters thought that the bad guys were like the Trump people, and no, it's just actually completely reverse. Um, anyway, seeing these things crumble. It's just so consistent with everything that the modern left does. They are here to crush everything. And how are we to believe that the Hollywood foreign press is a, is a racist organization? The idea that they can't get their awards show in order because they have to get more black people in, like they are the ones ushering in the systemic racism. We have to get more quotas in guys. We can't give all the awards to white men and we've got to make sure more black women get it and trans people and people with a bad hip and a lazy eye. It's just endless stupidity and it will continue. All right, let's get away from stupidity and let's go to the questions. Patrick says, Dave, you have talked about inc the increasing divergence between red and blue states. If this trend continues, could it result in the fragmentation of the US similar to what happened to the USSR where some former Soviet republics are democracies while others are dictatorial hell holes? Sounds outlandish, but outlandish things are already happening. You know, there was a long while, I would say about a year, where I was starting to think about some of this stuff, probably even more than a year actually. And then of course, you know, COVID just completely blew that thing open because the radical difference between lockdowns and states that were basically left free and crushing people's jobs, and now we're seeing just the growth of the state that we're gonna give people unemployment forever and all of the stuff that you guys all know. And while I was thinking about that for a year, a year and a half, maybe even more, I didn't wanna bring it up that often because I don't like the idea of like adding to the, it feels like it's like adding to the embers of the fire in a way, you know what I mean? Like it feels like, oh, if we talk about this stuff, some of it'll just, will 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 it into being. I want the United States to remain the United States, right? The, the founders had such a brilliant idea that you could live in these geographic places that would be very different from each other, but we would, what would bring us together were the ideas of freedom and liberty. And that if there was a place that was more in line with whatever your belief system was, religiously or whatever your belief system was economically or philosophically, whatever it was, you could find a place to be. So in many ways, what's happening right now where you see places that are much more in line with say what I believe. So let's talk about obviously Florida and Texas and Tennessee. I mean, if you would have ever said to me 20 years ago, that's what I'd be saying now. I'd, I'd think the world was upside down, but I guess the world is upside down. Um, the fact that they are doing what they think is right related to lockdowns and everything else is great. And then of course, you, in my opinion, it's great. And then of course, you've got places like New York and California that are, that are, in my opinion, doing much worse things. Well, we know they actually just released a study that California this year had their first net loss of people, meaning more people moved out of California than moved in. First time in the history of California. So people are waking up. So I would say this is what the founders sort of envisioned in a way. And, and the real question will be, is will the federal government keep becoming so big that it will start infringing on the rights of those states? You know, I've joked about it, but it's like Florida should build a freaking wall and get that get that you know National Guard armed up because the, the federal government will infringe on that. They're not just gonna let people roam free in the free state of Florida. So I'm slightly kidding about a wall and an army, slightly, but it's like the states are gonna have to really figure out how to defend what it is that they believe in those states and the laws that they pass and defend their citizens and everything else. Because the federal government's completely out of control and the blue states are just patently ridiculous at this point. Stephen asks, 
Do you feel more and more blue team people are waking up and fed up with the mandates, overreach, and woke politics, California? I think in reality, yes, everyone is sick of this woke thing. And we know it statistically, and it's weird that it doesn't fully show up in, in voting, but like, what is possibly left of the Democratic Party? Show me someone on the Democratic side of things that is, that is against wokeism, really fighting it, someone that is against identity politics. The Democrats literally, in a completely partisan vote, voted to continue to allow uh, colleges to discriminate against Asian people. Every single Democratic senator voted for it, right? If you're Asian, how in the world could you be a Democrat at this point? If you have half a brain, and that, that's not to say that you should be a Republican. Like, I'm not saying that, and I don't think the Republicans are that great, but they're better than that thing, right? Like, we all know they're better than that. So are more people waking up? I think people are. Like, if your takeaway in the past year of lockdowns and everything else, regardless of what you feel about, like, some of the specific political issues, but if your takeaway of the last year was, yes, we need more government, if only government would, <laughs> do more for us. If only those people had more power, things would be better. Then, then I don't know, you need some kind of psychological evaluation, I would say, more than, more than a political uh, class. You need to really look at why you look at the world in such a backwards way. So I do think a lot of people have been red-pilled in that regard, and the question is, will, will they vote that way, and will all the people fleeing the blue states into the red states, will they finally realize that they had a little something to do with this disaster, and will they vote accordingly? Alicia says, I know you went to college. In this environment, do you think it's worth going as a conservative and either speaking up or just quietly passing classes? Do you see any future for people who work to prove their competence in manners other than college attendance? I, look, we're working out having kids right now, so that means I'm not gonna have kids for a long time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be an old timer. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be an old father. However, the idea that in like you know 18 years from now or so, I'm gonna send my kids to college if by college or university we mean anything close to what exists right now, you're basically sending young people to a brainwashing institution. That is pretty much it. When Bernie says we want free college for everyone, he knows that's the best place to get brainwashed socialists. It's not because he wants them to learn something from Thomas Sowell or libertarian economics or even that the history of the United States was good. But all of the stuff that's leaking out into society everywhere, it started on the college campuses. We all know this. It's partly why I was ahead of the game on all of this stuff because five years ago, if not more, I was speaking at college campuses and I saw all of this craziness and I was like, wait a minute, these kids are gonna get out into the real world and they're being taught by these awful people and, and what's been strange is, you know, there were all the people that said, oh, once they're out in the real world, they'll, they'll fall into line, you know, the real world or get them. And, but the real world just kind of collapsed. They just ran right over it. So I think there's probably a gajillion ways to think about educating yourself outside of college. The amount that you can learn, uh, you know, just listening to lectures on YouTube. And then of course, there's the part of the college experience about getting away from your parents, you know, living with friends, you know, living, living somewhere, say, in between, you know, high school and then fully as adult, you know, hopefully married with a family, like we could figure out what the social things are with that. Should young people live together differently in communal thing? Like, I don't know, there, there's something we could figure out about the social part of college that I think is important. But the idea that you'd spent, save 80 grand or something as an adult to send your kid to one of these places where they're most likely gonna learn that you're evil and everything you've done for them is horrible and the country is terrible is a bad idea. How about just give them that cash and help them get out on the world without debt and help them put the down payment on a house or a car or whatever else. Uh, Michael says, 
it appears that much of what we're seeing take place within the leftist controlled government is not incompetence, but a well-executed example of the cloward piven strategy laid out in the 1960s, modified for current politics. Thoughts? So without going too much into the specifics on this, the, the question really is, is this all happening by accident or is this a plan? It feels very much like a plan to me. Um, who was the, the Russian former KGB agent, Yuri Bez, give me the last name, Yuri Bezmanov, um, slightly butchering it, we'll, we'll get it for you in just a sec, who, who talked about how you would instill uh, communism, basically, in the United States, and that you could take out a free country like the United States without ever having to fire a bullet because you would do it through the inside. Um, we just had his name there. Yuri Bezmanov is his name, and you should check out the YouTube videos of him from literally, I think they're from 30 or 40 years ago, and they're absolutely fascinating and lay out exactly kind of what's happening here. So I think there, there is a strategy. None of this feels organic to me. It feels very coordinated with big tech and what trends and what doesn't, and then the, the way the media only covers things if it, it covers issues when they fit their racial narrative and they don't cover the other things when they don't, and the way that NBA players like LeBron James fall into line but won't say anything about China. It all feels like part of a pattern. And it's like, what is that? Like, what is that whole thing? I don't know, it's almost like asking what the meaning of life is. Like, you can just sort of see what you see and figure out how to, how to act accordingly within it. I think that's the best thing that you can do. Uh, Leo says, thoughts on Biden's first 100 days. Where did he go wrong and, what, and did he do anything right? I mean, I think they've been pretty much a disaster on all fronts. Like. There, there was no healing, there is no unity. Um, you know, gas prices are going through the roof. We're actually having gas shortages right now that they're not really covering on mainstream media, but it is happening. Um, the Middle East is on fire again. It was basically peaceful, not basically, it was peaceful, and there were at least five peace deals signed under Trump, but now the, ba the bad actors now realize they can start doing stuff again. So we've got, we've got war on the horizon, you can sort of feel it. We've got gas shortages, there, we don't have any of that unity. We have a media that is completely emboldened to hide everything that the Democrats do, where we know if Trump you know, farted the wrong way, they would have done three weeks worth of coverage on it. I don't know that you can fart the right way, but you see my point. Um, so I don't know, There's, I, I think the, the modern Democratic Party has been completely decimated and is basically a, a radical extremist leftist organization. I, I don't know what, how to say it any differently. And it's very sad to me that my liberal friends didn't see this coming because I thought it was pretty obvious. And, and believe me, if there was something to give this guy credit on, I, I would love to find it, but I don't know what it is. Do you feel confident uh, that we will get through lockdowns and not have more lockdowns when he's saying, oh, you know, remember two months ago it was, oh, you can get together in July and now it's like, well, we'll see what happens in July. These people just want more and more and more and more and they're just gonna keep taking it as long as you give it to them. Elijah says, what do you make of the situation in Israel at the moment? So look, there's a barrage of rockets coming from Gaza, hitting Tel Aviv, hitting Jerusalem, hitting, well, basically all over Israel. First off, I would say if you, if you have, know nothing, you know, a lot of people, Whenever you bring up the Middle East, say, oh, I know nothing about it. Like, you know, what, what, what do we do? I would say first, look at a map. Look at a map. So Israel is obscenely tiny to the point that it's basically the size of New Jersey. In a pretty 
in a pretty rough neighborhood, right? And Israel is by far the country in the Middle East with the most diversity, meaning that there are Arabs and Jews and Christians who get along. I've been there many times. I've been to Jerusalem where you can, within moments of each other, walk to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is the holiest site in Christianity, to the Western Wall, which is the holiest site in Judaism, to the Dome of the Rock, which is the second or third holiest site, in Islam, which is built on top of the decimated Jewish temple, the Temple Mount. There was a temple there. Now all the Jews have left is, is a wall. Um, but there is diversity there. You can see women walking around in burqas next to ultra-Orthodox Jewish men in black hats. Like There is no place in the Middle East that is freer and lets their citizens vote and all of those things. That's not to say that any country doesn't have its flaws. They all do. But I would say this, that every single country on Earth has the the right, and I would say the duty, to defend its citizens as it sees fit. And I'm fairly certain that if a whole bunch of rockets were coming from Canada and hitting us in Detroit, we'd probably bomb Mexico. So every country has a right to defend itself. So Israel's got the Iron Dome, which is blowing these rockets out of the air. We know that Hamas shoots the rockets from hospitals and from children's playgrounds because they want dead Palestinians. That's just their cynical view of the world. They want dead Arabs because then that, they think that that will turn the world against Israel. Um, and, and then also learn a little bit of history about all of this. There was never a nation known as Palestine, meaning a Palestinian people. The, the Arab nations used to boycott Palestine, which was the, the British mandate of Palestine after the Ottoman Empire. So it was Turkish during the Ottoman Empire, then it was British. Then they said, okay, we're gonna split this thing up. The Jews said yes in 47, the Arabs said no. Then they all attacked, they lost a war, they're still upset about that war. That's what this is really all about. And you know, the West Bank used to be part of Jordan and Gaza used to be part of Egypt. They don't want it anymore. But there was never, there was no Palestinian, who was the prime minister, like there wasn't. It, there just wasn't. You can read New York, old New York Times when it was sort of a newspaper, articles, in the 30s and 40s that the Arab states were boycotting Palestine because that's where the Jews lived. Anyway, I could do this forever. It, it, it starts becoming like a little, a little, it becomes like some long thing that you gotta talk about in great detail. Um, but also, you know, I saw this, these ridiculous tweets from Ilhan Omar, who's just absolutely awful, uh, you know, basically calling Israel a terrorist state. And it's like her, her buddy Rashida Tlaib on one hand, you're, you wish Jews happy Hanukkah, and then at the same time, you know, Hanukkah is the story of the Jews defending the Judean hills. You're not gonna believe what Judean means, uh, Rashida. And where are those hills? Oh, they're in the West Bank. So that holiday that Jews celebrate for 5,000 something years has something to do with Jews living in that place that you don't want any Jews to live in, or that Jesus guy, remember Jesus? He lived in Bethlehem, that's also in the West Bank, so Jews must have lived there a long time too. I mean, these, the, the hypocrisy is just off the charts. But removing any of all of that, I would say every nation has a right to defend itself. So Israel can defend itself, and if, and if you're for Hamas, then they can defend themselves. And if you think, if you believe that Hamas firing rockets is some way defending themselves, then I think, I think you're just sorely mistaken, but everybody can defend themselves as they see fit. Um, but I don't think that there would be any nation that would be more restrained than Israel at the moment, probably to a fault, actually. Uh, ben says, I've been watching Bill Maher for the last few months to get out of my conservative echo chamber. There's times when he seems to get it, but always follows up with, uh, with vote Democrat, which makes me want to scream. Do you think he'll ever have that moment where he realizes Democrats are the anti-reality party? If you do, do you think he'll accept it when it happens? So first off, I just want to put this out there. I was booked on the show twice and they canceled on me twice. One was COVID related when my book came out. 
and then there was one other time, I would be happy to go on the show, I would be happy to have, uh, have Bill here, literally in my house, or we could do it via Skype. I would say that Bill, in essence, is an old school liberal who maybe hasn't quite been mugged by reality yet because he's just so rich, so he thinks he can kind of get away with it, something like that, and I don't even mean that to be a dick. Like he's a single lifelong bachelor atheist. Like you're, a, so he can just like have all of his ideas that sort of make sense in his liberal worldview that don't have any concrete reality anymore. But if he wants to live free, if you think that the Democrats and the left are the, are the party and the political ideology that makes sense to you, that just doesn't make sense to me anymore. But does he get some things right, which is your point? Yes, he's pretty good on the free speech stuff. Like he really is. Like I, I think, and he does call out both sides when he can. Um, but you know, the example I always bring up is he had Adam Schiff, our moronic you know, representative from California, from the Bay Area, who was the lead, you know, lead guy during the, Trump, the first Trump impeachment before the second Trump impeachment. And he had Adam Schiff on and he's complaining to Adam Schiff about how high taxes are and regulations are high and all his friends are leaving. And it's like, he can't put it together that it's because, well, Bill, you support Democrats. These are the people that run this state. And if you think all of the things are bad in this state and you do complain about how bad education is and you do complain about the drug problem, even though I think Bill's answer would be to legalize more drugs, which I don't think is the totally right answer, but you complain about high taxes and all, all the people fleeing, but then your answer is always, okay, keep voting in the same people. So I think Bill is actually a libertarian. And at this point, I would say he's a conservative in that new way that I've been talking about conservative, but he can't say it because it's like his whole audience will turn on him and, he, and the guy's, you know, he's at the end of his career. Even, you know, he could go on for a couple of years, obviously, but like he's sort of at the end and it's like at the end, are you gonna really make a stand? Actually, that would be the honorable, cool thing to do. And I would love, to, I would love it. Like, I actually think it would be awesome if, if he would start really saying it as it is. Um, but you know, he's a, he's a TV host and, and it is what it is. And I say that as a YouTuber. Um, Oscar says there's a lot of people on the right and in the media who have a lot to say about what the Harris-Biden team is doing wrong and how it's destroying America. What is some actionable advice that you and your guests could give us to individually counter the deterioration of America under this administration? Start caring about local elections. Know who your congressman is. Like that kind of stuff. Like right now, here in LA, like our roads are gross. There's homelessness everywhere, encampments, all of these things. Like I don't expect Joe Biden to fix it. I actually don't expect my Democratic congressman to fix it either, but we've got a better chance to work on that guy, right? So we've actually been trying to make some contact over there. Like that's the point, that's the point, that you must have some ability to affect your life and, and the way we've outsourced all of this, that the federal government should make every decision for everybody, whether you live in downtown Los Angeles or you live in you know rural Pennsylvania or something, um, is actually crazy. So I would say that's the political level. And then the other part is, is the family level. I would say at the spiritual level, something like that, like, like know what you believe, do a little bit of what Jordan Peterson was saying in that video that we played a week or so ago about truth, you know, telling truth telling the truth for truth's sake, that in some ways that's the ultimate expression of faith, that if you just say, I will tell the truth, and it doesn't mean that everything will be right, but by putting truth out there, that will be better than all possible uh, you know, alternatives. Like that seems like something that gives us a little power back to ourselves. So if the world is going to hell in a handbasket, it's like we don't have to speed it up ourselves with lies. I, I don't know that there's much more that we can do right now. Like the best you can do, I think, is make your st family stronger, your local community stronger, 
maybe vote for those people at that level that can help you do it. But I don't think the answer is political. I, the fact that we think everything is political is part of the problem in the first place. Uh, James, who is your favorite Democrat? Well, all my favorite Democrats are dead, um, but I would say JFK, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, that's reverse Bernie Sanders. Um, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who I had the pleasure of meeting, who was a great senator, a liberal Democrat from New York, uh, who was an incredible senator, um, who fought for true liberalism, which is, again is modern conservatism, uh, was wonderful. Ed Koch, who was the mayor of New York City, there, there were some good Democrats, like who now? I mean, I guess Tulsi Gabbard, but honestly, I'm not totally sure that Tulsi considers herself a Democrat anymore. I don't wanna put words in her mouth or, uh, or claim anything that, that isn't true, uh, but look what the party did to her. Here she was, she was anti-war. She was anti-identity politics. She was for reaching across the aisle, right? Like think how differently, imagine if Joe Biden, you know, uh, <laughs> imagine, if dementia-ridden Joe Biden had chosen Tulsi Gabbard instead of uh, Harris, Kamala Harris, like where we would be right now. Things could actually be a little bit different, but they went all in on radicalism and centrism has nothing to do with the Democrats. So it'll be interesting. I I'd love to discuss that further with Tulsi. Like where does she shake out on all of this? It's, it's an interesting question, but who's my favorite Democrat? Yeah, they're all, they're all gone. Um, Debbie says, are you still coming to Florida in June? Hopefully Orlando will be on the schedule. So I had six stand-up shows in six nights booked in the middle of June, and then a couple other important travel things came up and we realized, we looked at the numbers, I will be totally honest with you, uh, because I am trying to be totally honest. We looked at the numbers and the schedule and it just like, it didn't really fully financially make sense to step out of the studio for that long and do it. Uh, in comedy clubs where there's only like 200 people there per gig, or whatever, especially now because they're still socially distanced and some they're not at full capacity and all that. So I wanna do theater shows. So we are looking at a whole bunch of theater shows, which we will start in Florida for sure. And we're trying to figure that out for the fall because by then every everything should be fully open, open, open. And then it will make sense to do. Um, but I will be in Florida uh, June, I think 17th to 19th. I'm interviewing the mayor of Miami who's doing a great job. Well, he's actually a Democrat, Mayor Suarez is a Democrat, but he is welcoming tech to come to Miami to build the future of tech infrastructure. It's a really beautiful thing. Uh, so I'll be interviewing him. We're either doing it at City Hall or we may be doing it on location somewhere. Um, and maybe I can pull together. You know what, we will pull together, not maybe. I will do a, a locals event there for sure. So if you wanna find out what we're gonna do, uh, rupertreport.locals.com. Oh, he's a Republican? Hot damn, the one Democrat I like is a Republican. Well, there you go. <laughs> Sorry, Suarez. Sorry, Mayor Suarez. You are a Republican. I retract. You're my favorite Democrat because you're a Republican. You gotta love it. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. Uh, Yitzi says, when are we gonna finally have Trump on the Rubin Report? Good question, Yitzi, because we did get an email from Team Trump yesterday that we will be interviewing Donald Trump finally in June. I cannot comment any further than that, but it is happening in June. There, you heard it, Dave Rubin interviewing Donald Trump. It's finally happening and I'm looking forward to it. Otto says, what is your favorite thing about your career? Um, well, I love this, right? Like I love the ability, like it's my, this is what I do for a living. I'm able to tell you guys what I think and be around good people and, and meet so many cool people and travel and, and all of that. But I guess more than anything else, like I've said this before, but it has something to do with the purpose part of this. 
I wake up every day with purpose. Like there is a reason to fight and I know, well, I know we all have a reason to fight, but like I know that I can have some influence in that fight. So even, you know, a couple days ago when I read you guys that, that uh, New York Times thing where the reporter basically called me a white supremacist and that I regularly have white supremacists on and Yang didn't really defend me or whatever. It was like, I woke up and it, while in the old days that would have angered me, it kind of seemed funny to me. And then I was like, well, okay, this is what happened. The New York Times is crap. This is a journalist, not a journalist. Like, let's fight. Let me fight for what I believe in and say what I believe and get my voice out there. And then of course, what happens is you guys back me. You watch this show, you comment on things, you, you've joined us on Locals. And like, I've just had a great community. And, and to the point of, you know, when we go down to Florida, we'll do a Locals meetup. Like I've been doing these meetups in LA and we did, in, did them in OC and I've done one in Dallas and we're gonna keep doing them. And it's like, I'm meeting great people. I, I think you guys are way better than our political class. And uh, so my favorite thing is, is people, humans, you guys, yeah. Tyler says, if you had to live the rest of your life without basketball or BBQ, which would you choose? Well, the answer is obvious, which is BBQ. That's not a slight to basketball. I love basketball, but as you know, I've got this torn ACL. I may have the surgery this summer. I'm actually leaning towards it because the, for the first time in the five or six years that I've had this, this torn ACL, it's actually starting to bother me. And I was also thinking the other day, you know, if the zombie apocalypse comes, which it seems like it's getting closer and closer, I'm gonna need to be able to run freely. You know what I mean? I can't just sit up on my porch up there and shoot zombies all day. Like at some point, the zombies always break into the house, in which case I'm gonna need to be able to run. And the thing is, when you have a torn ACL, you can run straight, but you can't do zigzags. And I feel like there would be a lot of zigzagging if I was running away from zombies. So anyway, I think I'm probably gonna get the surgery uh, sometime in July, we shall see. And, and the point is, I can't play basketball that many more years, even if I had a good knee, right? Like productive, fun basketball, I could play horse. Uh, but barbecue uh, can last a lifetime, so there you go. Uh, Jamie says, do you read fiction? If so, what is your favorite novel or classical literature book? I, you know, I don't have time to read in that sense anymore. So I, I tell you guys that when, when I have guests on, in the old days at the beginning of the show before I was also running a tech company and had so much going on, I would always read the book of the guest. And then over the years, that's become less and less and less. And then sometimes now I don't read any, which I think sometimes can make for a better interview because I can ask more questions that are, uh, that are vague and open-ended, let's say, and, and with less of my opinion in them. So that can be kind of good. Sometimes I have to read a little bit more. Uh, sometimes my producer, Michael, gives me a recap of certain things. You know, we, we try to play it by ear, depending on what the topic is, who the guest is. Do I know them? What type of interviewee are they, et cetera, et cetera. So unfortunately, Fiction books have become, have really been pushed down because most of the stuff that I'm interviewing people about is nonfiction. However, I will say this, this wasn't the last one I, I read, uh, but one of the great fiction books that I've read, which is one of my favorite movies also of all time, is the movie Contact. And a lot of times you guys will ask me about a, a book that I think you should read, and I always talk about Billions and Billions, which is Carl Sagan, who did Cosmos, of course. It was his last book. He actually died uh, at the end before the book was finished, and then his wife, Andrean, who was also a professor at Cornell, she ended up finishing the book. Um, but Carl Sagan wrote one fiction book, and it was Contact, and I'm sure many of you have seen the movie uh, with Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey. That movie just blew my mind, opened me up to, to such a new world of things. I saw that in 97, I had eaten pot brownies, and we were going to see Air Force One, and Air Force One was sold out, and we just go into Contact, we didn't know what the hell it was, me and my buddies, and that panorama of the universe comes out and I'm stoned out of my mind and that thing just got me. 
and uh, just a great, great movie. James Woods is in it too. Um, and then I ended up reading the book. I read all of Sagan's books. That's his only nonfiction. And in the nonfiction one, without getting too lost in this, you know, if you remember in contact, she goes into the machine alone. In the book, several scientists go into the machine and all have different experiences. So there, there's, it's, it's just a great, wonderful book. Um, Owen says, are there any films you think put out the same message as the Star Wars prequels, but are actually good films? Oh my God, there, there must be. Uh, well, basically you're talking about the, this thing that I always talk about, which is the accumulation of power, creating a war to, to, in essence, shut down one of the sides when you have enough power, and then you're the hegemonic power. You are supreme leader, you know, your supreme chancellor, Palpatine. Um, I don't know. Do you have any good ideas on that one? If you're in, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of dystopian future kind of things. Yeah, I don't know one that like specifically that, le that level of power kind of thing. I'm not exactly sure, especially from a political perspective, which is why I love the, the prequels as much as I do. Um, I think that's it. Is that, is that all we're doing today? Was that the final question? That was the final question, guys. Uh, part two of my interview with Nigel Farage is up on YouTube right now. And of course you can watch the full thing at rubenreport.locals.com. And our panel show tomorrow will be Travis Brown, Douglas Murray, and Peter Bogosian. They're doing a documentary all on wokeism, how it's affecting the colleges, all, all the stuff that we're constantly talking about here uh, from, from a, two of my favorite people, Douglas and Peter, and Travis is the one putting the doc together. Thanks for watching everybody. See you tomorrow. That's all. Thanks for tuning in everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you wanna connect with me personally and get early access to my sit down interviews, join rubenreport.locals.com.